Welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we love movies and we want other people to love them too, particularly the ones that we love. I'm Karen Peterson, joined by Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. Yes. Well, we are objectively correct about our taste in movies. That's part. We of are. It. I mean, that's like, just how it is. Like our taste is objective. Everyone else's is is subjective. Just like, oh, well, that's what you like, but you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, occasionally people are right but you know occasionally <laughs> it happens once in a while so but mostly when they listen to us that is when you are correct um lauren how are you i'm all right i'm tired uh the weather in new york has decided to go from like 55 degrees yesterday to like 30 and it was snowing a few minutes ago and yeah so i wish that i i wanted to just decide like if you want to be 50 fine if you want to be 30 fine just choose <laughs> that's where i'm at yeah yeah it's uh it's been rainy here this this week it's been the rain kind of stopped but it's there's another big big storm coming in today that's supposed to last until tuesday so Ooh. yeah so that'll be fun um, and then I've been eagle eye watching the uh, weather in Park City, Utah, because I am headed there this week for Sundance. And Karen, don't dance with snow. I am not <laughs> looking forward. Uh, I have I have bad news for you about. I mean, I I feel like you should know this already. <laughs> well, okay, that Utah in, in January. <laughs> like- I lived there for six years. I, I yeah, six I, Januarys, and it sucked. And every time I go to Sundance, <laughs> I'm like, this is why I moved back to California. Um, I wish that they would take Sundance back to July like it originally was, because July in Park City is quite pleasant. <laughs> I was going to say that makes that makes better sense in a yeah. lot of like January in what is notoriously a snowy place yes just seems like a a recipe for disaster the license plates say ski utah so i mean yeah it's known for (laughs) skiing when they were trying to get the olympics in 2002 like their pitch to the ioc all these countries that were trying to get the olympics were doing um videos about like cute kids and like you know all this come to our country we're cool and then for utah they just showed pictures of the snow-capped mountains and then they won so um i mean there was you know, we don't need to talk about the bribery scandal i'm sure that was completely unrelated but you know <laughs> uh yeah but that's the thing so it's very snowy but i i think there are a couple reasons they moved it to january one was that all the celebs really wanted an excuse for a ski weekend it's really fun if you hang out like down at the bottom of Main Street. There's a lodge there, and like this whole area. And there's an- another, um, there's another area where there's some hotels, like the big nice hotels. 
where they do some of the interviews and stuff and it's like there's this plaza and like some restaurants and things and one of the ski lifts is right there so you can just hang out there and see all kinds of celebs coming by in their ski gear and stuff and yeah (laughs) it's it's fun it's fun to watch but it's like freaking cold and uh yeah and I always stay down in Salt Lake with some friends so I have to drive up and down the mountain every day to go back and forth and yeah there have been times where I've been terrified trying to get back down at you know midnight after a long day of screenings and it's snowing and the roads are gross and they haven't plowed yet (laughs) (sighs) so so difficult going to a world-renowned film festival right right. like it's really (laughs) it's really hard hard. (laughs) it's really hard but which is all to say that you're going to Sundance this year so that's really cool it's their first fully back in person uh festival since the last time i went which was 2020 so it's like they said oh karen can come let's roll out the red carpet again and let's do this so um <laughs> but yeah so it starts officially on thursday i am probably working through thursday so i won't get up there until friday but i'll be there the whole week so i'm i'm really really excited um it's been fun like getting all the press emails again of like Mm -hmm. come see this come to this event we're gonna give you swag if you come to this like okay um i don't care about the swag i just want to see the movies but um but it's it's been really fun and they are doing a hybrid so there are a lot of people that will be watching from afar i got a pass where i can watch things in person and online so if there is a day where the weather is particularly bad and I'm not comfortable driving up the mountain I can stay down in Salt Lake and and watch some stuff there so it'll be it's kind of a best of both worlds type of situation I'm really excited so yeah that's nice that's cool Uh, is there anything that you're like really looking forward to or Um, about the festival in the festival like as far as movies or just the the festival just generally just generally but yeah movies anything that is like playing it's on dance you're just like ooh, i can't wait yeah so nicole nicole hall of center has a new movie that's premiering there it's called you hurt my feelings and um it's julia louis dreyfus right now i'm blanking on who plays her husband but she plays a writer and her husband's always been kind of her biggest champion and then one day she overhears him telling a friend that he hasn't liked any of her work in years and that of course is going to cause some problems in their relationship so um it just i love nicole hall of center um and so i'm really i'm really looking forward to that one i think that sounds really good um mm-hmm. uh, man there's there's a bunch and i'm totally blanking right now i have a list somewhere i always feel like sundance is one of those those times where you know something premieres and something really catches on and you you're not always certain what it's going to be exactly. oh yeah yeah like you get those you get those films that are from major directors or with big stars that don't do anything mm-hmm. um and then others that are just like really catch on and become you know part of part of the awards conversation all of that stuff it's um, so true sundance is often it's often the first stop for for a lot of films yeah yeah it's so true there's um like like okay so um like the farewell was one that it was it was getting some buzz ahead of time but getting to see that at sundance was Uh so much fun and people were so excited about it you know um then there's movies like blind spotting which 
David Diggs was known at the time because of Hamilton, but he wasn't like the big movie star guy. And I mean, yeah. he's still he's still kind of on the cusp on that. But um, but he wasn't a big star. And Blind Spotting was just this you know little movie about you know lots of different things, but racism is a big big theme in that and um and gentrification and and lots of different themes but it was just this kind of like little movie that was it screened opening night and suddenly that was the movie that everyone was talking about uh-huh and um yeah and then there was the movie last time i was there tesla with ethan hawk <laughs> that people have been really <laughs> anticipating and then i saw it and i was just like oh dear lord what is this and well and it did i mean that film did not do anything in terms no. of, of of anything yeah because i because most people had the reaction that you did exactly um, yeah yeah but um but then there's always these little surprises too like i saw one of the movies that's in our poll for possible bonus episodes um just on a whim on a lark i decided to go see this movie save yourselves didn't know anything about it i read the description in the in the booklet you know and i was like oh that sounds like it could be kind of funny and i ended up just loving that movie it's hilarious and um the the i was one of the only press my friend and i went together and we were like two of the only press people that showed up for the screening and um as soon as it was over, the rep comes over and starts asking me like, oh, what'd you think? You know, and all this stuff. And so then we like end up corresponding and stuff. And I got quoted on the Blu-ray, you know, and, and I was in the marketing materials because I was one of the only people that saw it at Sundance. <laughs> but it was like a really so funny cool. movie that I still love, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so it's just, yeah, you, you really, the fun thing about Sundance is just giving, giving things a shot. You never know what's going to mm-hmm. connect and what isn't. And, um, yeah, like I, well, s- and go ahead. I, I was, I was going to say in terms of our poll, like some of the films that, you know, I was, I was going through different films that like had premiered at Sundance or were being shown or had been shown at Sundance, but you got things like Blood Simple, which was the Coven mm-hmm. Brothers first film, right? um you know you've got things like heathers uh so some of these films that are like kind of not just great films but harbingers of like you know the the direction that cinema is going to go things like that and you get those films that are small and are showing up at places like sundance so it's kind of it's it's one of those things you can't predict necessarily which i think is quite exciting in in film yeah it's so true well and even brick the other movie that's on our list too yeah um that actually so when i lived in utah we you know i i love film i've always loved film and so there i was and i didn't get to go to a lot of things because i didn't have money back then you know and so my friends and i would try to go to you know one or two screenings while you know while it was in town and the first year that we went uh well no maybe not the very first year i don't know I think it was the first year that we went, we were walking on main street and we saw Joseph Gordon Levitt and we both knew him from, um, third rock from the sun, the TV show. And he was walking with Ryan Johnson, but at the time I had no idea who Ryan Johnson was. It was his first movie at Sundance, you know, and we ended up, we did see it and it was great and we loved it, but it's just so funny. Cause it was like, it took years before that movie really, um, it, it definitely was buzzed about a lot and yeah. it helped put Ryan Johnson on the map, but it took a long time before that movie really became something that everyone knew and recognized, you know, 
and yeah. it was one that started at Sundance and and yeah so there's there's uh there's so many fun memories I have of Sundance oh my gosh one time uh I was I had gotten tickets to a documentary and um I was with a friend and we were walking into the theater to to watch this and she asked me what is this about and I said I'm not sure insomnia or something and so we go in and we sit down and the director gets up to introduce his film and he's talking about how one of the um one of the great things about being a documentary filmmaker is that nobody knows who you are and so you have this anonymity when you're out in, in crowds and so he starts talking about how uh, he'd been standing at the door listening just to people as they were coming in and he heard someone ask what is this movie about and the person next to her replied i don't know insomnia or something i was like oh my gosh oh my gosh i'm totally <laughs> getting called out <laughs> and he's trying to do this whole explanation about why the movie's really not about insomnia and then i watched it and i was like this movie's about insomnia dude <laughs> <laughs> just like, i was right it is about insomnia yep. <laughs> oh yeah it was really funny but anyway yeah so i don't know there's it's there's definitely some like named movies that i'm looking forward to but it's more of i'm really excited for the discoveries you know the ones that Mm -hmm. people aren't aren't talking about yet just to your point that things that i might not even have noticed as any of the times that i've gone through the schedule but i'll have an open spot and i'll say "Eh, i'll go take a look and then it'll end up being something that i absolutely love and Mm -hmm. will talk about ceaselessly all year (laughs) so i'm excited to find out what that is that's cool yeah that's cool i'm certain you're gonna have fun yeah i will it's it's gonna be great (laughs) i know (laughs) but it's yeah it's it's great and it'll be fun to just reconnect with friends that i haven't seen in a long time and um just getting to go back to some of the old fun places and battle the uh the shuttles and (laughs) yeah it's great i love sundance maybe one of these days you'll get to go to yeah (laughs) the amount the amount of work it takes to get from one coast to the other is always the kind of thing that makes me go like oh and then it's january and it's like it's not great in new york in january but it's even worse over there (laughs) yeah sundance is different though you don't have to come all the way to the coast you can just fly into salt lake salt lake airport's not bad true Mm -hmm. and then it's just a short ride up the mountain (laughs) so anyway well we saw a tweet last week that we were going to maybe talk about a little bit but we ended up deciding this is a much longer conversation so we decided to save it for this weekend so this is our our theme this week is the movies that made us which um is also the title of podcasts and a show on netflix and and all kinds of things, but it's such a such a fun thing I think to talk about, especially here at the beginning of the year. Um, just this is still the time I think where we like to look back and be nostalgic in in kind of in the depths of, of winter. Um, but uh, so the tweet that inspired this is from at Sid the Sunseeker, 
and it is what is your movie like what is the movie that changed your life and made you the person you are right now i know we all have one i'm curious what it is and why um now sid the sun seeker is 19 year old film student so i feel like um that is important uh information because her her entry was american beauty and she said it sparked my passion for film and nothing in life has ever been able to evoke the emotions i experienced when i watched it for the first time it changed my whole outlook on life and how i viewed myself and the relationships in my life and i just i i love listening to people talk about what movies really kind of change their lives in lots of different ways it could be the movie that sparked your love of film it could be the movie that that took you in a particular direction or just changed the way you you view the world you know and so i just i i i love this topic i'm excited to to jump into it um lauren put it out on twitter just to see what what some of our listeners had to say and um so we got some some good entries. Noah said, uh, when I was seven or eight years old, my family showed me Star Wars and Indiana Jones and back-to-back weekends. I was not allowed to watch movies rated above PG. Instead, they showed me TCM, and I saw Rear Window and the Maltese Falcon in the same weekend. I've been hooked since. I love that. Um, in, initially, I read, I read that. I know he's talking about the network TCM, and initially <laughs> I read it as as texas chainsaw massacre i was just like <laughs> jesus christ don't watch that when you're seven what is wrong you're not allowed you? to watch movies above pg but here watch the texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> it's just, i was trying to think it's just like we're movies must have been rated at that point and then i realized like he's talking about the turner classic movies yes not, yes not texas chainsaw massacre so yes uh, i love that yeah <laughs> um Connor says, my dad started showing me all his favorites when I was around 12, hit a lot of the greats, Casablanca, The Godfather, etc. But I felt like I started striking out on my own and really seeking new things. After I saw The King's Speech in 2010, it really resonated with me having dealt with some speech issues as a kid. And I'm still a vociferous defender of that film. So am I. I will never (laughs) stop cheering on that film i love the king's speech i think it's a great movie and i think that most people just are mad at what it beat and not at what the film itself actually is and i will yeah, I, never stop saying that <laughs> i i feel like that film got a got kind of a bad reputation not because of it, of the quality of the film itself mm-hmm. um that that like and and i think that you know but i think that this is a really good point that something can resonate with you because of your own experiences right so the king's speech with which i i like i think it's a very good film and everything it didn't necessarily resonate with me but it didn't need to right yeah um but it, it would resonate with with connor because you know he has he has a life experience that is different from mine mm-hmm um, yeah. And the, the it's the same thing with like American Beauty, where I have a lot of problems with American Beauty, um, but it's still not that doesn't mean that that film doesn't mean something to people. And that even the problems that I have with it um, are not like, you know, saying, oh, you're a bad person if you like this movie or you're a bad person if this film was inspirational to you. Right. Yeah. Well, and on that note, like with the King's speech, I didn't have speech issues, so I don't have that reference that Connor does. But for me, that movie and one of the reasons I love it so much is because of the friendship. It's a it's a this core friendship between two people who wouldn't normally have ever met. And 
it just, I don't know. There's just something so beautiful about that friendship that just always stuck with me. And I, I really, I particularly um, love Jeffrey Rush in that movie more, even more than yeah. Colin Firth. And, and I think it's because he's this, you know, he's this guy that's just going about his life and, and all of a sudden has this incredible experience that completely changes both of them forever. And, um, he's not, he's, it's the King of England and he's not looked down on or, or anything for his circumstances, you know? And that's why, that's one of the Mm -hmm. reasons why I love that movie. So, yeah. So it's like the same movie can resonate with lots of different people for lots of different reasons too. So. Yeah, absolutely. So Estefania said Caligari. The first time I watched it, it blew my mind. I was amazed at the things that they were capable of doing with a camera a hundred years ago. And I started watching all the silent films I could get my hands on. I love that. Love that. That's great. Yeah. Cal- Caligari is is one of those. I think that particularly if you watch it, because this one of those is usually introduces like, here's what German expressionism is. Right. <laughs> you know, it's Caligari. That's what it is. So just look at Caligari and that's it. Um, but but it is such if you've never seen anything really like it before, it is such a shocking in a lot of ways, very surprising film because it isn't it doesn't show what I think we tend to associate with. Um, silent films especially early on when we're first watching films um i think i i don't know maybe my this this was just my experience but the first silent films that i ever saw were comedies mm-hmm. um i saw like yeah, chaplin and keaton and and those those kinds of people and i i think that that's an easy way to kind of ease into silent film because physical comedy is timeless basically yeah. <laughs> um and and you don't have the same i think experience of like the 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 discombobulation of not having dialogue not having ambient sound all of that stuff um that you do with with the like dramas with things like that but caligari is so visually arresting like it's still a surprising film even now and that's says so much about its its staying power really mm-hmm. yeah exactly and and uh it's it's one that like I came to it much later. I didn't see that when I was young. I saw it, you know, actually just in the last few years. And and I think the first time that you see film, certain films like Caligari, um, where you at where you are at in life can really influence mm-hmm. how you see that that film too. And if you have the opportunity to see something when you're young and then watch it at multiple times throughout your life, it can it can completely change meaning for you too well and, and with i think the first time i saw caligari was um in college right and it was kind of it, it was funny because the professor was actually like okay we're going to talk about german expressionism because it was like a basically a film 101 class right mm-hmm. and we're gonna talk about german expressionism but rather than he so he talks like at length about caligari and then for some reason decided to show us fritz lang's m what which is a great film right yeah but literally before the film is just like well this is this has expressionist elements and i'm sitting there going like why the fuck are we not watching caligari which you were just telling us about and i really want to see now yeah so and and i think and nanina might need to correct me on this i think that nanina and i actually got together because we were in the same class and we're like we need to watch caligari let's go (laughs) get it from the library right and um yeah and we got Calgary and it's it's a fantastic film but I I was always very perplexed by that just like but you're literally saying that like Caligari in some arguments is the only German expressionist film like totally expressionist 
so why are we not watching the, the only <laughs> expressionist film? Why are we watching the one with expressionist elements? That's so nothing against weird. M. Nothing against M. It yeah, is a it's great, also a great film. film. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's still, it's yeah. so weird. It's, it's very so weird. bizarre. It's almost like when people in the film industry talk all about how great certain films by female directors are and then don't nominate them for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, no, it's true. I, I think that the reasoning, this was, this was a class that um, I, I, I went to university of St. Andrews and this was kind of the early days of film studies at St. Andrews. Um, and I think that some of it was that the professors thought that, you know, a bunch of freshmen and, and sophomores, primarily the people that were in the class, wouldn't want to watch a silent film. And my attitude to that is just like, look, if they're not interested in a particular style of filmmaking, then they shouldn't be in a film class. Like you right. have to experience these things. But I think that that was the idea behind it, that they were trying to make it more accessible or something. But I was just like, I really like M, but I would like to see this movie you were just talking about. <laughs> Yeah, that's it's well, it's so strange because it's like, you know, I mean, we run into this all the time with people in in the film Twitter community world, whatever we want to call it, that will talk about how they just love movies so much, but yet they won't watch certain films like they refuse to watch genres or films from a certain time period or I will never watch a film by this person or, you know, whatever. And it's just like, okay, if you really are that interested in, in film then watch them watch the ones that challenge you watch the ones that make you uncomfortable watch you know don't just watch what you what you love watch the things that you don't love too if you really love film then that's all part of the experience well and and so much of it is about prejudice so so the whole idea that like oh you you would have difficulty watching a silent film it's like yeah silent films you have to adapt to and to a certain degree especially if you're used to watching more contemporary films yeah um but you don't know it until you try it. And also the whole idea of like, oh, silent movies. That's like, that is an, an epoch of film. That is not like a genre particularly. There are all, like we're talking about, there, there are comedies, there are dramas, there are melodramas, there are different styles. Um, there are some films that actually, you know, incorporate the use of sound, mm-hmm. um, but in very different ways because of because it's very early uh, uh, sound technology at that time. All of that stuff. And you can't know, you know, oh, I don't like silent movies. Just like, how the fuck do you know? Obviously, you know, have you seen one and you decided that you couldn't get used to like the intertitles? Well, you know, let's talk about The Last Laugh, which has almost no intertitles. Um, that is almost entirely told visually, you know? Yeah, exactly. How can you ever say that you love film and just decline to watch anything made in the 1910s or the 1920s? Right. Yeah, exactly. On that note, too, I also think that every filmmaker working today needs to try making a silent film because (laughs) I watch and the reason I say this is because I watch, you know, so many movies. I saw almost 400 films last year. Um, A lot of them were rewatches, but not all. Um, In fact, not most of them. But, uh, you know, there's just this this tendency in in a lot of up and coming filmmakers now where they just feel like they have to tell everything and. I, I just I want to see people actually explore what it's like to really focus on that visual medium that film is supposed to be, you know, mm-hmm. 
Like, well, can they do it? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Alf Alfred Hitchcock was a famous proponent of um, pure cinema, which is is essentially silent movies. No sound. Yeah. Um, every So all the storytelling is done visually. I think I've talked before about um, the, the opening scene of, after the credits, the opening scene of Rear Window, where mm -hmm. we go through Scotty, or um, not Scotty, that's Vertigo. I can't remember his name now. We go through his entire backstory um, via it, things that are in his apartment. And so this, this before there's any dialogue, before there's anything, any conversation, anything like that, we get it. Here's everything that happened. And we get up to the car, up to the, the car wreck. And we see him in the wheelchair with the broken leg. And we know what happened. We know who this guy is. Yeah. Um, within, you know, a few minutes. And, uh, and there is a story that, that Hitchcock was pressured by the studio to actually use a voiceover for that sequence. to like have Jimmy Stewart basically explain, here's what happened. Um, and, and he resisted it and th thankfully they was not forced into it. But, um, but, you know, Hitchcock, who is probably one of the most seen filmmakers in, in the history of film, he is one of those that everybody sees, right? Yeah, uh, was a major proponent of exactly what you're talking about. Visual storytelling. That's what cinema is supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so tell what you can with the camera, not with, you know, the dialogue explaining. Here's how you should understand this. Exactly. Exactly. And I just I think that for filmmakers, for people who want to do that, um, who really are interested in film as a medium for their storytelling, I think that even if it's not anything that they ever show anybody, I think just for themselves, for the exercise, and maybe a lot of them do this and they don't know about it, but I just think that it's such a, a useful, a useful thing to do to create, you know, visual stories mm -hmm. without dialogue, because it's something that, like I said, I just, I see so many films where I see that this is getting lost. People are, are telling us all these things that they need to 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 tell us without just when they could just show it you know like yeah i don't need to hear it i need to see it that's why i'm sitting here in this theater <laughs> yeah why why am i why, why am i experiencing this visual medium <laughs> mm -hmm. if you're just going to explain everything to me you know yeah. i i th there are plenty of other mediums that the primary mode is words right um and even then you know i have to say i'm an i'm an editor i, I tell people all the time Stop telling me what's happening. Show me what is happening. Literally make me visualize. This. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so Lauren, what is yeah. <laughs> a or maybe one or two films that you feel like when you look back over your experience, what are what's a film that that made you who you are today? <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, well, since I was talking about Hitchcock, I'm going to start with the Hitchcock film, films, et cetera. Obviously, I like Hitchcock. Um, that's that's something that I don't not many people know about me. Uh, and and I've I've seen like I've seen all of his films that are that are available. There are a number that are lost. Um, and and I've been you know very influenced by him. He was basically as a director, he was the filmmaker that made me interested in film, made me understand that film is such a rich and complex and emotional medium. Um, so if you know anyone said like, why did you study film? Why are you interested in film? Anything like that? Just like it's because of, of Hitchcock, uh, with the acknowledgement that there are all kinds of issues surrounding his works, surrounding him as a person. 
um, all of those things. Like he, he really was the thing that got me into film. And I have no idea what the first Hitchcock film was that I saw. I'm going to make the assumption that it was something like Rear Window, uh, just because I feel like that's the kind of film that my parents would have been happy showing me. They would not have shown me Psycho, but <laughs> Psycho, I think, was the one that I, I guess I want to say got me. <laughs> um, and and I was I was a bit older when I saw it. I had already seen a lot of Hitchcock films at that point. I'd seen things like Notorious and um, Suspicion and Rear Window, The Birds, all of those films. And Psycho was kind of the one that I was a little bit scared of. I, I was a little bit like, I, I want to see this, but I also don't want to see it. I knew the twist. Um, I knew kind of the entire history of the film at that point. So I wasn't going in kind of blind about it, but I was very nervous about it. And it was one of those times I remember watching it in the middle of the day uh, before we went to like a party at my dad's office. And I don't even know why I happen to be watching Psycho at this period. <laughs> um, but it it got me. It's got under my skin in a way that was very frightening, but also really exciting. Um, it was one of those times where watching something, I still feel it every once in a while when I watch Psycho, which I've seen a million times now. Um, it was one of those films that just felt so different and like nothing I have experienced before or since and made me just like look at film in a way that was like, this is kind of almost the pinnacle of art, right? This this is what film is capable of. and. I, I just I absolutely loved it. And it's, it terrified me like like most people. I was just like, I don't want to take a shower. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it was very, very exciting. It was like, this is this is fantastic. What he's accomplishing is amazing. But of course, it's you know, at that time, I wasn't you know studying camera angles or anything like that. Um, I've talked about this before. The shot that continues to stay with me is the shot looking over Marion's shoulder where the door to the bathroom opens and you just see this kind mm -hmm. of black square basically. And you know, you see mother coming in, but it's very vague, this very kind of shadowy outline. And that is the moment in the film that just always terrifies me that I always <laughs> go back to. I love it. Oh man. So I've probably mentioned this before, but you know, at Universal Studios, they used to have this, um, it wasn't a ride. I guess it's more of a, a show, I guess. Um, it's not there anymore, which I think is, is a shame, but they had sort of three, I mean, they probably would have needed to update it a little bit now, but, um, they had sort of three like stages. So you, you go to one place and they did this whole thing and then you, you like, and it was to, it was a visual effects show basically and showing the use of green screens and stuff. And so one of them was uh, Harry and the Hendersons. And that was for Foley actually, if I remember correctly, it was like, they were showing how you do the sound effects of, of this, like, you know, sasquatch guy and then they had one that was with back to the future and then the last part of it was all alfred hitchcock and um they showed um how he used green screen in some of his movies but then they also showed um the the shower scene thing and that was when i learned oh like oh it's the chocolate syrup you know and he switched the water to cold and stuff like that. Like I learned about, about all that from this universal show. 
and so yeah like you i knew the the big twist um like many years before i ever was brave enough to watch the movie and the reason i was too scared to watch it until i was probably a senior in high school was because my parents were terrified of that movie (laughs) neither of them has actually ever seen it to this day and (laughs) i was just talking to my mom about this recently and because i found out that they're doing a big screen um like a a, tcm is doing a, a screening of it later this year and i was like mom we're going and she was just like i'm so scared (laughs) i've never seen it and i was like well big screen that's gonna be the first time you see it then i i mean it it actually i i don't know because i many years later i actually got to go see uh another screening in a film class that was uh it was primarily freshmen so it was again film 101 classes i was a grad student at the time and about and afterwards there was a discussion of it right and um, or no, beforehand, there was a discussion of it. And I, I was about to say something and then I paused and I was like, Does, has anyone here seen this film? And it was like no one except for myself and, and my couple of friends, all of whom are grad students. And and I was like, do you know what happens? Like, do you know the story? And they're like, no. And I was like, I'm going to shut up. I am not going to say anything. The that intake so of, exciting. The <laughs> intake of breath when the twist is revealed like is it was fantastic it was the most exciting film screen i've ever been in because i was just like you don't know you don't know what's coming this is great i love that i'm not going to spoil it for you you are like that is awesome enjoy this experience like i i was shocked that anyone like didn't know the twist to psycho i guess yeah um and and uh it it was but it was just like this really wonderful moment it was just like oh wow you guys are about to experience something truly great <laughs> that is so cool so cool so for me um your 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 foundational director is hitchcock my foundational director like any child who grew up in the 80s is steven spielberg and um officially the very first movie i ever saw in a movie theater was not directed by Spielberg. It was directed by George Lucas and it was star Wars, but I was only six months old and I do not remember it. Shockingly. Um, one of the earliest movies I do remember seeing in the theater. And I've been thinking about this a lot ever since I saw the Fablemans recently. Um, and that is Raiders of the Lost Ark. And the reason I've been thinking about it, they're not, they're not connected. The Fablemans and, um, and the scene in the Fablemans specifically that I'm about to reference, uh, and, Raiders of the Lost Ark are not connected, but um, in the Fablemans, early on when little Sammy Fableman is still very young, his parents take him to see, I think it's supposed to be his very first movie, and it's um, The Greatest Show on Earth. And there's a scene in that film where the train derails, and it's this huge like special effects, visual effects um, feat and sammy is terrified of it but it also fascinates him and so he spends just hours and hours and hours recreating this at home and this is kind of where he starts to develop his love for film and i've been thinking about ever i i was very lukewarm on the fablemans as much as i love spielberg um i i i I appreciated the movie but i don't love it like a lot of people seemed to absolutely just be head over heels for it and that's great for them i'm happy them but 
uh, I've really been thinking a lot about how for Sammy and, you know, for Steven, it was this train wreck in the greatest show on earth. For me, one of the things that really just completely fascinated me about movies is the boulder scene in the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And um, it seems like a small thing, but when I was, you know, four years old or so, and I saw that for the first time, um, it was scary, but it was also fascinating. Like I had, you know, and I, I saw that movie many, many times in my childhood. It was on regular rotation at our house. We had a, a VHS copy of it. And it was one that I, you know, I was constantly, I was fascinated by it. I would think about it. I would talk about it. I would, you know, my brother and I would, would like play it out, you know, in the backyard. And it just, it was this, like, it really just captured my imagination. And eventually a couple of years later, they did a, a the making of Raiders of the Lost Ark thing on TV. And I was just so so just like caught up in watching how they did that scene and it's so funny because like as an adult I think oh well it's really not that momentous of a of a thing but for me as a little little kid it just really affected me in a way that made me excited not not frightened it really made me excited about movies and what was possible with movies and that's just something that that always resonated with me and that kind of reawakened i guess that memory when i was watching this movie just a couple months ago it is such an iconic scene um and and i like yeah i i I didn't experience it in the way that you did the first time but i that is a film generally that really gets it i get the magic of the movies as it were like just that that real excitement and energy that comes from just a really well-constructed action sequence, which is all that it is really, you know, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah. And seeing that kind of thing for the first time when you're a child is just like, Oh wow, you can do that. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like from a very young age, it just made me really excited about what was possible, you know? And and even though I did not understand a lot of that story, mm-hmm. <laughs> I still just got so excited about it. Like, you mean you were not versed in like the the story of the Ark of the Covenant and <laughs> Nazis and like all of that at the age of like four? Surprisingly, no. Um, it took me until like age six to understand that Nazis existed and were bad. Um, but you know, uh, it's no. <laughs> it's funny. I don't remember how old I was when I first saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I do remember the experience because it was at a KOA campground. Hmm. Um, and my my parents and I, I must I must have been fairly young because we we would for a couple of summers we drove from like New York to the Southwest, um, and we would camp along the way. And I remember at a KOA campground they were showing as like an outdoor screening Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, fun! And my parents and in their infinite wisdom uh, were like, oh, Lauren would love this. Like, you know, of course she would, the Indiana Jones, who doesn't love Indiana Jones? She'd absolutely love this. I was fine until the face melts. Like, yeah. At, at which point I had a complete breakdown. <laughs> and I remember screaming and crying and my mom having to walk me away. And like, 
And there was nothing that was going to be consoling, including the fact that just like, well, you know, they're bad guys. These are like Nazi, just like, I did not care. I was just like, this is the worst <laughs> thing I have ever seen in my life. Um, and I still have this very visceral memory of the face melting. Like yeah. that is it's just like, I remember that. I will never not that that is just a part of my memory forever. Oh, man. Yeah, I used to not be able to watch that. It took a while before I could actually just sit and watch that scene and not, yeah, not freak out as well. It's so funny. Um, So what's another one for you? Uh, another one for me, I, I think I've said, I've said this numerous times before, but I, I grew up with, um, without cable for the most part, um, sometimes with cable, but for the most part without cable. Um, but it meant that my parents would very often like rent movies. We would um, get things from the college library. So they liked to show, they kind of tried to introduce me to um, to different kinds of films. And one of the ones that they were quite right in assuming that I would like was the Marx Brothers. Um, and so the film, uh, Marx Brothers and Night at the Opera. Mm remains i think one of my favorite comedies uh and and also one again that i think because of its comedy potential and because one of the things i really loved about it i've always loved groucho and it's funny because most of the time when you're a little kid you love harpo right because harpo is very childish <laughs> it's all like physical slapstick comedy etc groucho is much more cerebral mm -hmm. um and it's a lot of, a lot of it is about you know what is being said and things like that but one of the things that i loved about a night at the opera was the um the the way that things sounded and i it's difficult to describe because a lot of the time i didn't understand it uh but the way that Groucho and Chico would say things, I knew was funny, even though I didn't necessarily understand what they were saying. So the entire scene, uh, if you've seen A Night at the Opera, there's an entire scene where they go through a contract, right? They sign a contract. Mm -hmm. And throughout the, you know, it's the party of the first part, and they like keep on tearing off strips of the contract <laughs> as they disagree about what they're going to accept in the contract. By the end of it, they each have this little strip of paper that is just like a signature. <laughs> um, and, and that, and that's all it is. And it's a hilarious scene. I did not know what a contract was when I first saw it. I did not completely understand what was going on, but I found it funny. Um, and I think at night at the opera is, is probably one of the Marx brothers greatest films. I think that's, that's generally acknowledged. Um, because you've got these these guys who are quite obviously, you know, working class, who are sort of infiltrating the upper classes. And at one point, stick, uh, take me out to the ball game in the middle of an opera um, <laughs> and begin playing baseball and throwing throwing peanuts into the audience. Uh, you've got this kind of wonderful anarchic mockery of the upper classes and of and of pretension also, not just wealth but pretension um and this embracing of kind of this the the more working class anarchic humor and joy and everything and it's still one of my favorite films nice um i know i've seen it but i don't have a lot of memories of it so i think it was one of those that i saw once a long time ago i should revisit it you should it's it it's probably one of the um the most plot driven of the, the Marx Brothers films. It balances out the comedy. A lot of their earlier films are very much, are quite obviously adapted from the stage. And the whole point of them is, you know, for the Marx Brothers to do skits basically. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and but a night at the opera actually feels much more integrated and in everything. There's a plot. There there are other characters that are important characters. Um, yeah, and it, it's just wonderful. It's just wonderfully funny. Nice. Uh, so it's interesting. A movie that um, ever since this this tweet came up, like one of the first movies that popped into my head um, is actually one that I haven't thought about like specifically directly thought about in a long time but uh ever since i've been thinking about this it hasn't left my brain so i was just like oh i think this is a movie that i really should probably talk about and that is um from 1988 it's a film called stand and deliver which is a movie that i think needs a second life i think that um uh it needs to be talked about more it's uh edward james almost plays um plays a teacher Jaime Escalante, who was a real person. This is based on a true story. Uh, my dad took me to see this when I was 11 years old. And it was this teacher teaching a high school. Um, uh, well, he gets a job at this Garfield High School in East Los Angeles. And, um, you know, the the scores, the school reading and math were just like really, really low, really bad. And um, there's a push to, you know, introduce more remedial education. And this teacher is just like, no, we're going to teach them calculus. We're going to push them. We're not going to, you know, talk down to them. We're going to tell them, we're going to show them they can come up to this level. And he ended up building a program that uh, was just unbelievable. He got all kinds of national attention for what he did. And, um, you know, he had, he had students that, didn't think that they could go anywhere in life end up um you know going to caltech and usc and and all these big schools and and like his his, the students that were passing the ap calculus exam from his classes it was it was so successful that the ap board were just like um i think there's cheating going on we're gonna double check on this and so there was like some investigation and stuff and it was you know he just was that effective of a teacher and obviously we've seen other films like this dangerous liaisons or no sorry uh dangerous minds (laughs) movies um (laughs) it's like wait a minute (laughs) dangerous minds michelle viper um you know we've seen other movies that are like this but there's just something about stand and deliver specifically that i think it's because it was this this unassuming you know, immigrant from Bolivia who comes in and is just like, I'm not going to talk down to these kids. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to talk to them on the level that they should be at. And, um, and it was just this one guy who made a huge difference. And, um, and there was just something like, there was just a lot of things about that film that resonated with me. I mean, I remember watching it when I was 11 and like none of the other kids in my class could have cared less about this movie. And I come back on Monday and I'm like, oh, this is so good. And math, yay. <laughs> and um, they were like, you are weird. <laughs> but but it really was a film that that uh, I think because of the, I think what really affected me was the fact that this was a real person that was still currently teaching at the time that this movie came out. Um, he stayed at that school for another few years afterwards. And I just, I think that there was just something about that, that like, this wasn't about a love of movies for me. This was a, a film that just really taught me that, you know, really one person can make a, 
a difference and it doesn't have to be a huge difference. It's a huge difference to that one or two or 12 or 50 people, you know, and, um, anybody can, can change someone's life if they just believe in them and, and, and help, you know, help them along the way. And I just, I think Edward James almost in that film is so good. Lou Diamond Phillips is in it. He's really good. Um, just a, a, I don't know. That was, that was just one that really has stuck with me for years that again, I think doesn't get talked about enough and I don't think enough people mm-hmm. have seen it and, and it needs to be kind of revisited. It seems like one of those films that, yeah, like you said, it's just not, it hasn't survived in the same way. Yeah. Um, or, or something. Uh, honestly, I haven't seen it. Hmm. Um, it's, it's one. That doesn't it's actually one, surprise me that much. <laughs> it's one. No, it's funny. Cause it's one that I know of. And like, I'm aware of a lot of the imagery. I'm aware of the story and things like that, but I, I haven't actually seen the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on, honestly, I just was, was like, I think it's because of South park. Cause there's an episode <laughs> of South park, um, that, that references the film pretty explicitly. <laughs> uh, and yeah. Um, but funny. yeah, I've never seen the film. It's it's interesting, but it's interesting those kinds of films that stick with us for yeah. for whatever reason, you know. Yeah, and I think honestly, I think part of it too was that because like my dad took us to we we were a family that went to the movies. You know, I actually saw mm-hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark at a drive-in. You know, like we would do that every weekend. We would just go to the movies, and um, you know, I have lots of memories of going to different movies with, with each of my parents, with both, with the, both of them together. This one, I think part of what, what was such a, um, uh, I don't know, like just part of what made this such a memorable thing for me was that this was one of the few times I remember it just being my dad and I, and my dad really wanted to take me to see this. And like, so the two of us went, my brother didn't go, it was just me and my dad and it was just a special experience for the two of us to have together as well and then it was just this movie that that really just really hit me even at such a mm-hmm. young age you know and um so I, I think part of it is the circumstances and part of it is the film oh yeah definitely um that those those kind of those memories of experiencing like like I say you know remembering seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark in a KOA campground or something like that going with your family to see a specific film that that had meaningfulness beyond the film itself Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so what's another one for you um I was trying to think about this and and uh there there are a lot of them uh one that I, the, you know, just going off of this whole idea of, of the experience itself, um, I was I was a little bit older uh, when my parents and I did this, but there there was a there's a local theater that is now prime. I don't think ever shows films anymore, but back in the day, it used to have like summer uh, film programs, basically. And one and at one point, my parents decided that they really wanted to go because they were showing a double feature of the Maltese Falcon and the Thin Man. Oh, wow. And I had seen the Maltese Falcon before. I'd never seen the Thin Man. I don't think any of us had seen the Thin Man at that point. And this this was like an, this is like an old school movie palace, basically. Um, and it was a massive screen. And we even were like, oh, we'll go see the Maltese Falcon, which was the first feature. But you know, maybe we'll leave af- after that. Uh, and then we wound up staying. And so I, I got to see on the big screen, um, the Maltese Falcon and the Thin Man. And it was just 
it was one of those times, you know, I, I think there's a lot of there are a lot of different debates about the theatrical experience. If that could be the theatrical experience again, then I think that there would be a justification for it. Because <laughs> yeah. um, like this, first of all, great films, right? Beautifully projected in this this gorgeous old theater. Um, and and again, the first time that I first time I'd seen the Maltese Falcon on the big screen, first time I'd ever seen the Thin Man. And it was a it was a very unique and novel experience, not not one you know that I'm likely ever to be able to repeat. But it was it was a marvelous just sort of moment, and it it was less about seeing the films themselves and more about all of the ambiance, everything that was around watching those two films. That's so neat. Yeah, um, I don't remember having an experience with seeing a a classic film on a big screen when I was mm-hmm. younger. I've definitely taken opportunities to do that in recent years, um, especially now that like Fathom Events teams up with TCM and they do big screen classics. And um, that's why the first, like I just saw The Godfather for the first time a couple of years ago. And it wasn't that I avoided it or anything. It just kind of had never happened. And then there was this TCM Fathom Events screening of the godfather and so the first time i saw the godfather was on a big screen and it was an incredible experience you know and um and then uh, i don't think it was last halloween i think it i think it was halloween 2021 amc was doing a series of um the universal monster movies and they did um frankenstein and dracula and it was on a saturday morning and um I went to, I went to see it. So it was this double feature and I was really surprised at how full the theater was at like 10 a.m. on a Saturday, you know, these two movies from 1931. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. It was, it was, it was 2021 um, is when it was. Cause it was like this 90th anniversary thing. And oh yeah, I think I remember you talking about those that yeah, you were going to see it. Yeah. And it was so cool seeing like parents bring their young kids to this too. And the kids were, were into it. They were so excited. And, um, and it was just such a a fun experience to have that. And I'd seen both movies before. It wasn't like I hadn't, I didn't know them or hadn't seen them a million times, but I had never seen either of them big, you know, big and up on the screen with that sound system and everything. And in a full theater full of people. And yeah, just, just what you're talking about, the way you're describing that experience, it, it, there really, there really is nothing like, and I will defend home video and streaming endlessly, but as someone who absolutely loves movies and always has, and grew up in movie theaters, practically, I will, I will always prefer the theatrical experience when it is one where the audience is paying attention People aren't being distracting and the projection is good and the sound is good and the seats are not, you know, making you want to die. Um, I will always defend that experience, but unfortunately too much of the time now theaters, you you go in and it doesn't, it's not like that. There's people on their phones. There's people, you know, coming in and out and yeah, yeah, there's lots of distractions and well, and and I think that that's why, like, in many ways, I feel stronger about repertory theaters than I do about, you know, the big cineplexes, et cetera, because you're more likely to get audiences. So so one of the one of the last films I saw in a movie theater before uh, the pandemic happened was I saw, I got to see The Lady Vanishes on the big screen at Film Forum in awesome. um, 
in in Manhattan. And that was great. And actually, I, one of my friends came with me and it was her first time seeing the film at all. It was a fantastic experience. But part of that was because everyone in the audience wanted to be there, right? Everyone had decided that I'm going to pay, you know, 15 bucks to go see a 1938 Alfred Hitchcock film. Yeah. Um, there was there's a purpose behind it. And I think that we get that less and less in some of the bigger cineplexes. Um, and so you get audiences that like are almost there just because, you know, just like, well, I was supposed to go see a movie, or they're there to be, you know, social, to talk, to to be on cell phones and things like that. And so you don't have the the same experience. Uh, yeah. although I will say, I will say seeing cats. <laughs> on the big screen again one of the last films i saw in the theater before the pandemic hit, um is is was definitely that was an experience and i'm so glad that it was with a big audience because everyone was into it in like the best possible way i've never heard people <laughs> laugh and just have nervous collapses in the movie theater at a film before but it it was a great cinematic experience Honestly, I think that I probably wouldn't have finished that movie if I'd just been watching it at home. But because I was watching it in a theater full of people yeah. and enjoying the crowd, yeah, that's where I finished No, it. That, that's that's like a midnight screening movie, honestly. Yeah. That's like a movie where you go specifically to shout things and <laughs> to like yep. break out in inappropriate laughter and, and stuff like that. And and yeah, that's so that kind of theatrical experience I think is fantastic. It's I did feel bad actually. I was like, I really hope that no one was here because they love the musical cats. <laughs> Because that would not have been a very pleasant experience. No, no, it would not. Um, so, okay, so as we talked about at the beginning of, of this conversation, obviously there are certain things that hit us at different points in our life. And there's also different movies that hit us at, at different points in our life or like, you know, newer releases come out and that can also have a really profound impact on us. So is there anything that maybe has come out in the last few years or something that you just saw for the first time in the last few years that you feel like really um, changed your thinking or, or, you know, something like, something like that. Like, is there a newer movie or a new discovery for you? Um, not necessarily that, well, I, we've talked a lot about, you know, getting to discover female directors, particularly earlier female directors. Mm -hmm. Um but in terms of films that have been released in the past few years, uh, it's, I, again, I think that, that this might be like just kind of a different way of looking at things. Um, both the combination for me, actually, of the release of Power of the Dog last year and um, uh, I think it was last year. Yeah, <laughs> it was. And, 2021. And Tar, so. and, and Tar, Tar this year. Uh, those two, I think, have kind of reinvigorated an interest in more contemporary cinema. I watch a lot of of older films. Um, that's the primary; those are the primary films that I go for. But both of those films, I think, um, were. I, I said this when Power of the Dog came out. Um, it it was the first time in a long time that I felt truly compelled by a contemporary film. And it's funny because everybody talks about, oh, Power of the Dog is so slow. Mm -hmm. um, Tar is so slow. It's just like, yeah, but it's compelling. And and there is, there's been something, I'm, I'm actually excited about the direction that a lot of film has been going, despite all of the 
bumps and all of the problems that you know you have with distribution everything there's been a lot of really good cinema that has come out in the past few years and that is particularly like pointed us in i think an interesting direction i'll be interested to see how those things develop um yeah. so yeah, that that combination i guess has kind of made me think that there is still a place for these kinds of films and that there's still something very meaningful to be said with cinema. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. Um, two for me are movies that we have talked about extensively on the show because we love them so much and they kind of identify us as, as uh, people. Um, but they're, they're two films <laughs> that really taught me <laughs> when I have an opinion, it's okay to have that opinion and to dig in and to defend it even when men are being dumb. And those are Ghostbusters 2016 and Birds of Prey. Like, Absolutely. They're, yeah. they're great <laughs> movies. They're, they're both really, really great movies. But just what they did, the experience of those, especially with um, Ghostbusters, because I was a couple of years into my uh, work at award circuit. Um, I had been there about three years, I think when that movie, when that movie came out, but I was really starting to get more involved and more active. I was on the podcast at that point. And, um, that was a movie that I had to defend so much. And it's interesting mm -hmm. seeing the way the conversation has turned on that one. So that it's like, all of a sudden people realize it's actually pretty good. It's just not as good as those other ones, you know? But like <laughs> people forget how mean and hateful they were about it when it came out. And I think it just that that experience of that movie being released and then falling in love with it. I absolutely loved it from the beginning and then having to defend it so much. I think it just taught me a lot as as a as a writer and as a film critic, it taught me a lot about how to articulate an argument um in defense of of my opinions not even necessarily about that movie but just how to really defend my opinion and and how to critique a film um through my own experience through my own lens but mm -hmm. also in a way that that really makes sense and um yeah so i i think that that just as as, as to where i am now in my career as a writer I think that film did a lot for me, honestly. And then Birds of Prey. Wow, that, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. I mean, I, I we've we've talked so much about those movies uh in in one way or another. But yeah, I think I think that there I mean, I think generally for a lot of people across the past six years or so, there's been a lot of radicalization. Um and but particularly for women, like the 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 rise of the the you know our, this new feminist movement wherever we're calling it at this point the me too movement i guess in a lot of ways but mm -hmm. there's it's there's more to it than that as well um it stretches beyond beyond the the initial campaign of me too but all of that yeah like um those films and i i think in some ways like especially the the outpouring of hate for ghostbusters really did solidify how women and women's concerns are sidelined in in film criticism right you know yeah. not not necessarily in hollywood and i've been talking about that but in film criticism and in the insistence on consensus of opinion yeah um 
And, and, you know, and I, I don't think that we should forget, I think a lot of people have, that a lot of the backlash against post, uh, against Ghostbusters was driven by people like Milo uh, Yiannopoulos and the Gamergate people. Like that, there was a con- cohesive effort to go after that film and to specifically go after people like um, Leslie Jones. Mm-hmm. So it stretches beyond like, oh, I just didn't like it. It's just like, no, there's, there's almost a political statement in watching that film and praising that film yeah well and it was it was one that started even before the movie was finished you know i mean yeah as soon as they announced the cast and that it was going to be all girls that it was not going to be because there had been a lot of of people wanting and asking for a third ghostbusters movie for years and there had been one that was supposed to be like the I, I know we've talked about this. There was one that was supposed to be like Megan Fox was going to be in it. And some other people, or at least that was the conversation. And it was supposed to be like the Ghostbusters were retiring and handing over the business to these girls. And people were fine with that when the girls were going to be like hot and young. Um, as soon as it turned out that the girls were going to be actually, you know, scientists and normal women, then it suddenly was, this is ruining my childhood. And and that started really early on. Like as soon as the cast was announced, people were were railing against it and were mad and mm-hmm. and were determined to hate that movie. And uh, I was I was skeptical of it. I loved Bridesmaids, but could Paul Feig do it again? And this was actually this was the movie that made me say I will never doubt Paul Feig ever ever ever. <laughs> um, and I have not been disappointed by him yet. And you know, even a couple of years ago, I was with my nephew. I think he was 13 at the time. And um, we were just hanging out and and we we're looking for a movie to watch. And I was like, oh, Ghostbusters is on. He goes, oh, yeah, let's watch it. And I said, have you seen this before? He goes, yeah, I like this one so much better than the old one. And I was just like, oh, there's hope for the next generation. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I, sorry, go on. Well, I was going to say, I, even I, I went to see Ghostbusters a couple of times in the movie theater. And mm-hmm. I remember the people be, the people who were actually going to see the movie were like, you know, kids and, and teenagers and people my age. And like, there was a pretty much a spread. Everyone had a good time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there were there were 12 year old boys in the movie theater who were yeah. obviously having a great time with it. So it it's it, I think that it it was definitely one of the the first films of kind of this cycle, I guess, of, of like Trumpism and MAGA and all of that shit um, that really catalyzed something both in terms, in, in terms of the reactionary elements, but also in terms of kind of this, the burgeoning of this feminist movement. Yeah. Um, And I don't think that was intentional, particularly on the part of the film, but like, like I say, there is, at this point, there is almost there's a political statement being made in watching that film and in praising that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true, and it's it's interesting. I think it specifically is because of the fact that it um, ties into something that was foundational for a lot of of people, uh, especially those of us who grew up in the '80s. You know, we grew up on Ghostbusters, the 1984 film, and so I think that 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 because nobody. You know, nobody seemed to have the same reaction to Bridesmaids. They were, you know, I mean, it wasn't as loved as like, I don't know, The Hangover mm-hmm. or whatever. But but people weren't mad about it because it wasn't, uh, it didn't tie into something that they loved. Spy was really popular 
because that mm-hmm. was you know people like melissa mccarthy it was a funny spy movie but it wasn't like a it wasn't like a female version of james bond it was something else and i think with ghostbusters that became where people decided to say like i'm being personally attacked by this movie even though they weren't <laughs> well and i i even remember like some some men and even some women saying like well but this is like in this this is like women invading my space yeah right this is yeah. women invading the space the geek space right and mm-hmm. it's just like you, did you ever consider that maybe women were there the entire time yeah. and you just didn't want to see us and you didn't want to acknowledge us and you and you kept on kind of locking us out and now there's something that is quite literally letting us in mm-hmm. um and yeah i i mean i i have to say seeing holtzman kick ass in yeah. that movie was like a a moment for me where like the little eight-year-old girl that I was who wanted to be a Ghostbuster um, and was told by boys that I couldn't be, even at the age of whatever whatever I was, 30 at that point, right? Um, I was like, oh, that little eight-year-old girl feels very vindicated right now. <laughs> yeah. Feels very emotional at this moment because mm-hmm. this is actually meaningful, yeah. Yep, exactly. So yeah, those are are the ones that recently kind of changed things. For I me. that is a very good that is a very good point. <laughs> well, do you have any other final thoughts as we kind of wrap things up this week? Uh, not really. I mean, obviously, watch more movies as yes. always, and um, and I think like we said it earlier, you know, kind of, I think that these all, all of the films that we're talking about were kind of launching pads at some level, you know, and but I find it interesting that most of the ones we're talking about we still love like, you know, maybe not in quite the same way, but um, like, I don't think you can ever fully recapture that initial experience, but you also don't need to um, because it kind of pushes you further. It leads you into finding new films, finding films that give you a similar experience and that can, can like move you in ways that you maybe didn't necessarily expect, including going to see the 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 movies that maybe you're not certain about the ones that are outside of your wheelhouse the ones that you're a little scared to see um that's important as well yeah i think it's really especially for those of us who are going to say that we love movies we like what we were talking about at the beginning we need to challenge ourselves we need to take those risks go see things that you know go see things by film directors that we wouldn't necessarily seek out go you know go have those experiences watch genres you don't normally think that you like you know um i've had so many different experiences with friends who will say oh i don't like horror or i don't like you know martial arts or whatever and or even you know a few years ago i had a friend who was just like i don't like watching old movies i don't connect with them i just there's just something about them that i just i don't like and i said i i you know, I was, I knew a lot about this and I, well, not a lot. I knew enough about this friend's personality that I said, have you seen the apartment? And he said, no. (laughs) And he watched the apartment and he came back and he was just like, wow, that was really, really a great film. And he loved it. And I was just like, this is the thing. There's something for everyone in every genre, in every time period. You just have to find what works for you. And I don't know how much he took that and went and experienced other old films, but I know that it did open up some, you know, some new yeah. uh, films that he was willing to watch after that, which, you know, it's just try, just try things. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's, 
It's at most 18 hours of your life. <laughs> Some movies feel like they're 18 hours long. That's why I said that. <laughs> True. Anyway. All right. Well, I guess that will uh, wrap things up for us for this week. We're not going to have new episodes for the next uh, two weeks because I will be in Sundance, but we are going to have a bonus episode uh, coming up. Um, so you'll be able to to listen to that. We're still, as of right now, not sure what it's going to be, but it's uh, looking pretty close. So <laughs> that'll be fun. What were you going to say something? No, I was I was going to say I'd pretty. I think I know what it's going to be, but <laughs> <laughs> unless things have really changed in the past uh, hour, probably yeah. But we'll we'll find out. So it'll be it'll be fun uh anyway so we just want to thank you all for listening we especially would like to thank our patrons for helping keep the show going um you can uh you can hear all about them no what why did i say that that was weird (laughs) you're all about our patrons okay (laughs) we can't hear anything about our patrons except for their names which are sometimes you get lost in the pattern sometimes just like wait a minute what was i saying i'm just saying words at this point like i don't know (laughs) nothing makes sense um but our patrons are ollie brian connor estefania heather james kathleen cariata matt michelle monty nanina robert robert steve sharon tau and will thank you all so much for supporting us if you would like to learn more about how you can become a patron yourself this is what i was trying to say and i said like three things at the same time and it was very awkward um but if you'd like to be a patron too you can go to patreon.com slash citizen dame and sign up and membership or subscription whatever i don't know um gets you early access to episodes we have um some fun fun little things like stickers and buttons and um bonus episodes and stuff like that so um so it's lots of fun but it really the important thing is that you get to help keep the show going because it does cost a lot to host this and not like hosting the episodes but like actually putting them on the internet costs money um so yeah so we appreciate the support of people that help us do that we also have our zazzle store zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and our ko-fi co-fi.com slash citizen dame there's also a donate button directly on the website if you wanted to just toss some money in there as well and the website is citizendamepod.com there are some reviews uh my women talking review is coming i've been working on it for a long time uh, but it's coming um It'll be there by the time you're even listening to this. So what I really mean is it's there. Go look at it. Um, but I'm also going to be writing lots of reviews um, out of Sundance. So be be checking back for that. So I'm going to, everything I see, I'm going to try to to write up. So um, we'll see how that goes. But anyway, um, you can contact us in lots of different ways. We have our email, citizendamepod at gmail.com. And of course, we're on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, citizen dame pod letterboxd is at citizen dame uh we are officially a citizen day or sorry a letterboxd hq so we're gonna have lots of fun stuff happening over on our letterboxd account so you definitely don't want to miss that go give us a follow over there you can also find us individually lauren where are you i am on all of the socials at lh business and i am on all the socials at karen m peterson so that is it Thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next time. Bye.
Hello, Marion. Indiana Jones. Always knew someday you'd come walking back through my door. I never doubted that. Something made it inevitable. So what are you doing here in Nepal? I need one of the pieces your father collected. I learned to hate you in the last 10 years. I never meant to hurt you. I was a child. I was in love. It was wrong and you knew it. You knew what you were doing. Now I do. This is my place. Get out. Mohan, Temigaru, Bolianu. I did what I did. You don't have to be happy about it, but maybe we can help each other out now. I need one of the pieces your father collected. Bronze piece about this size with a hole in it off center with a crystal. You know the one I mean? Yeah. I know it. Where's Abner? Where's Abner? Abner's dead. Marion, I'm sorry. Do you know what you did to me in my life? I can only say I'm sorry so many times. <laughs> well, say it again anyway. Sorry. <laughs>